another edition of Ask Been Answered. Today, me, Chelsea, and Katie are joined by Dr. Sean McCann, who served as Ask's 23rd president uh, from 2008 to 2009. Dr. McCann is a senior sports psychologist at the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee. So, Sean, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really looking forward to this conversation because I have heard that your presidential address was the funniest presidential address of all time. So I'm, I'm really definitely in definitely in the top three that I've seen in my many, many years of going to the conference for sure. The um, first business meeting I ever attended was the one that you led, actually. Really? Mm hmm. Is that also your last one? No, I've been going ever since I was hooked. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> so to start, could you give us your that's probably that's probably diagnosable if you if you if you find those things. Interesting you know, to keep something going. You really go back to. No, I go. I go to them also. I, so it's I, I share the same disorder. So to start, sorry, could you give us your thirty-second elevator pitch bio about where you are now? Okay, I am a senior sports psychologist at the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee, and I work directly with athletes and coaches to help support. Uh, excellence at the Olympics and other major international competitions and I travel over 130 days a year uh, last year it was 175 um, to go to different competitions um, for and different training camps as well and this is my 31st year working here at the uh, US it used to be USOC now USOPC um, and I've been to 15 Olympic Games as a sports psychologist for Team USA. Both winter and summer Olympic Games? Yeah, yeah. And one, one Paralympic Games as well. Well, one of the things that we're hoping to do in our podcast, Aspen Answered, is to better understand how key figures in our field got to where they are today. So now that we know a little bit more about where you are today and what you've done in that role, can you give us a little bit more background about how you got there? Um, I'm going to have to um, edit myself from being sarcastic all the time. This is a this is an important. I feel really um, humbled to be part of this group of people, just like I was to be one of these presidents of ASP because it's been you know my professional home forever. So um, so I'll I will my normal intent is to crack jokes all the time. So I'll try to be more serious. Um, Please don't. Please be as sarcastic <laughs> and jokes as you want to. That's part of the joy of this. But I also appreciate appreciate well, your intentionality. I'll, I'll <laughs> I'll try. Yes. Um, well, um, there it, it is a sort of interesting path. Um, I was actually in graduate school at the University of Hawaii, um, and I was in uh, grad school for clinical psychology. And I was also bike racing, a road road cyclist. Um, and I remember distinctly the day I was sitting in my basement office, you know, grad grad student office next to the rats in the rat training cages um, and I pulled out this thing I got from USA Cycling which is this little tabloid thing that had you know announcement of races coming up and results for different different events and there was this little ad in the back that said 
the U.S. Olympic Committee is looking for research assistance in sport physiology, sport biomechanics, and sports psychology. And I was like, I remember just stopping and thinking, oh my God, you know, because I had been interested in the idea of sports psychology, which was pretty new uh, area back then. This was in this was in the mid '80s uh, when when I saw this thing, um, and uh, I had actually um, done an independent study on sports psychology, what I could, you know, during during grad school. Anyway, so I wrote to this address and said, hey, I'd love to do this. How does how, how would this work? And this the psychologist, the sports psychologist at the time was a guy named Shane Murphy, um, and he wrote back saying, well. This is, I just got here, I'm the first full-time sports psychologist. I was maybe looking for an undergrad, I'm not sure what you would do. And, and so I wrote back, harassed him, got somebody to write me a letter of recommendation, one of my professors, and say I'd be awesome and all that sort of stuff. And so he relented and he let me, so I left grad school for about eight months and came out and worked as a research assistant. And obviously that was a giant course, course correction. Um, and right away I got to, you know, be involved in, you know, groups, um, sports like groups with different teams, uh, got involved in a couple of research projects, um, and really loved it. And I loved it so much that when I went back to Hawaii to, you know, to finish up grad school, I changed my um, advisor, changed my focus. My under, my master's thesis was cross-cultural psychopathology, um, which was you know, a very different area, um, and I found somebody who was interested in health psychology, and got them to sort of help support the idea of doing a sports like thing, and I came up with a research idea of um, cognitive pain coping strategies in endurance athletes because I knew cyclists, and I knew like being able to manage your pain was really important in terms of like getting to the very edge of performance, and so. Um, so that was one big key point that that just happened to read that little advert in the in that thing, and then as I was um, I went to um, my clinical um, internship for the APA internship at the University of Washington in Seattle, and when I was there, ASP came to the University of Washington in Seattle right when I was there, and I was able to present two of the research projects that I had done with Shane at ASP and and I got to meet all these other people who did sports psychology and all these young grad students who are now old like me but we were young then and it was awesome and it was a blast and I didn't have any money because I was a grad student so I couldn't go on this there was a famous cruise that they went out in the bay and I would, couldn't afford to go so I didn't go to that but um, I was able to just meet people and you know just was so excited but again I still didn't think there was a job and then one last thing Shane Murphy did for me was just before I was about to get married, um, he he said, "Hey, would you be interested in a uh, a two-year postdoctoral fellowship?" I was actually at that point just doing a fellowship, and uh, after my internship at the University of Washington, and I convinced my fiance, "We'll just go to Colorado for a couple of years, then we can come back to Hawaii, where she had a really good job." And that was 1991, and we've been here ever since. So I owe her big time for that one. Um, and um, yeah, so those those were probably big moments. And so I, 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 you know, had this career where it was so much 
good fortune and opportune time to meet people and just random luck of things that could have gone a completely diff different direction. But it was just it's been so wonderful because I just, you know, from the very beginning, I was like, okay, well, I know what being a psychologist is and I know what doing sports psychology is. And one is really fun and really amazing and awesome. And the other one is also satisfying and rewarding but not nearly as much fun, uh, and it didn't just grab me like sports psychology did. So um, when I found out that actually, you know, even just for two years that postdoc, that maybe I could work for two more years in sports psych, I jumped at it, and the fact that then it turned into a full-time job um, has just been wonderful. So um, that's the, sort of the long-term picture of how I, how I got here. I'm curious, you mentioned that advertisement in, in that uh, magazine. Had you heard of sports psychology before then? How did you figure out this thing that was sports psychology? How did you first initially discover it or hear about it? Well, um, I remember it was just, it was kind of a, a, an introductory topic and it was mentioned in, in textbooks and things like that. And I had a, one of the professors at University of Hawaii was really big into uh, the Ironman triathlon and he um, and so I was talking to him about psychology of sport and I was a bike racer so we you know had that connection and I convinced him to let me sort of find out what I could and research what I could about sports psychology um, and uh, yeah so but I but I really again it was just sort of an interest area he said well you can you can get you know it's not a lot of graduate credit but you know, you can write a little paper up about sort of the state of the field and stuff. And so, um, so yeah, again, I, I, it was seemed really awesome and really cool. But um, again, not something that seemed like a career for anybody in the U.S. So, um, but yeah, I'd heard of it. And to me, it just sounded amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And once you got to Colorado, so told the fiance two years, let's do two years. What made you decide to stay? I think you said 31 years. Um, yeah. 31 years yeah. later, what were those kind of significant moments that really formed your experience there at the UOPC, USOPC? Yeah. Um, boy, there's so many. I mean, one of the things, again, like sort of the contrast with my, my training in, in clinical psych, and, and I was going to be, my path was going to be a child and family psychologist. And, mm. um, uh, that work is fascinating because of the dynamics of organizations and the structures of a family and um, that you're, you know, even if you're working with a pretty young kid, um, you're not just working with that kid, you're working with every, everything around them, school, their home, their family. And sometimes you can do great work and, you know, find that all that great work is undone in five minutes of, as soon as the family starts screaming again. And so, uh, you know, that I really, one thing I've never lost is my love for psychology and just people and fascinated with why people are the way they are. And, um, and I, I, I'm someone that gets um, bored easily. Um, so I like new things. I like things that are different. And so I found that in, you know, in, in working with, with families. Uh, but I really found it in, in working with sport. I was 
just surprised the more because I had my I had my own experience. I was a, you know a, a soccer player in high school, and, I, and I, when I went to college, I didn't make the team, uh, my college team, and, and it was um, I went to Brown University as an undergrad, and that at the time I came in, they were the fourth ranked team in the country, and I discovered. Um, I was really not in that class whatsoever, you know, <laughs> and um, and and I realized part of it was mental. I was like, I was just super intimidated. They, were, they had sort of open tryouts, and uh, one of the things they did with uh, um, with the incoming freshmen was they would put them up against just a one-on-one drills, and one of the guys who was an all-American guy, midfielder, which was the position I played. Um, and the, your job is to try to get past that guy and and then then try to stop him going in the other direction and it was like it was so humiliating how easy it was for him to just destroy me and and I realized part of it is like I just mentally I was not ready you know and that was my really the first experience I'd had of that of just being just wow I I I didn't lack for for confidence, really, I thought, you know, I mean, naively overconfident, but uh, it was just sort of shocking just how I could not, I could not respond to that situation. I was really, so anyway, so that, um, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm going off on a, on a tangent. I hadn't told that story in a long, maybe ever, I don't know. But anyway, that was like, that was an interesting thing. Um, but so for me, I knew that there was, these parts of, you know, the, the mental side of sports that were really, really important. But I had never had anyone try to teach me or, or talk about that. And so just the idea that I could combine these things that I thought were really, really fascinating, just sort of how people operate and the notion of thoughts linking behavior and directing behavior um, and, and sport. And that, you know, and, and University of Hawaii, where I went to for, for grad school, was a very cognitive behavioral program. Had some some leaders um, in the area of sort of basic, you know, sort of going from operant conditioning and Skinner boxes with the mice to like understanding how thoughts work and can you really have thoughts that are separate from behavior and all that sort of stuff. So to me, I, I, I discovered pretty quickly when I got to Colorado that, wow, this is there's an advantage I felt coming from a cognitive behavior work because it's all about behavior change and it's not so much about, you know, you know, how your parents messed you up because, you know, psychodynamic theory or whatever. It's like, it's like, okay, what's the problem? How do we fix it? Let's, yeah. and let's, let's, let's collect some data, see what's really happening. And then let's say, okay, what are some interventions that are logical from that? And, and I realized, wow, this is like really useful frame for sports psychology. Cause like, coaches want you to help them you know change behavior or sustain behavior or create new behavior and so just having that as a focus to me like um was very helpful where that i got some sort of sense of confidence that oh, this is something i can do i i understand about behavior change and so um what i what i learned most at, in colorado being around athletes who were some of the best in the world was how special the thoughts have to be, how special the feelings have to be, how um, remarkably diligent you have to be to get the behaviors to come in line and and be able to execute. Um, and so to me, that was like, again, one of those beautiful opportunities that I just fell into is just 
talking to athletes about what they do to win a world championship. Mm. And they're coming to me and I'm like, I had the biggest imposter syndrome in the world in terms of like, okay, I know what I know, but you're, you know, and I actually had one Olympic medalist and world champion tell me, you know, Sean, you know, I know you know a lot about psychology, but my guess is there's no sports psychologist in the world that knows as much about rifle shooting as I do. And I said, yeah, you're right. You know, so it's like, well, teach me, you know, <laughs> teach me how it works. And, and so that's what it, it, you know, that's sort of how it, how it went. I would just, you know, talk, I, I would ask as many questions as, as I could to coaches, to athletes, um, spend as much time observing lots and lots of attending practices, which to me has never felt like work. It's just felt like, oh, this is awesome, you know, so anyway, so I just got sucked in completely because everything about it seems like, wow, this is something that really, I see the need, I, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not great yet, but I think I can figure out how to do this, um, and I, I felt like I had good training in intervening with, with people and helping people create new behaviors, and so I felt like, okay, I just need to figure out what exactly what are the shapes of the behaviors we want and how do, how do I help support that and facilitate that so that was a really long meandering answer to I don't remember what the question was but I know it wasn't that you meander all you want to and for the record we are here for all of the stories so any story you are willing to share please feel free whatever the question is you go where you want to go but okay. no I, so the question was what were those significant moments and I hear you sharing those that experience for you with soccer and kind of those mental hurdles that you experienced personally, the humility working at that high level of Olympic sport and that openness to learn, the openness to go in and say, well, I have this training from psychology and from sports psychology, but you are the expert in your world. So how do we work together to help you go where you want to go? Um, and just continuing to have those conversations and continue to show up. I think those were yeah, wonderful. Megan, I'll, I'll pass it back over to you. One consistent thread that I think we've been hearing throughout doing these conversations is our field seems to be such um, a combination of happenstance. So many people have said, I just happened to come across this, or I was in a class about this, and they said this. And so I can't imagine there's other fields that are quite as happenstance as ours. Well, I think I think there's more happenstance with freshness and newness, and you know, ASP. You're talking to leaders of ASP who are older, typically, who were there kind of at more at the beginning, and so it was like, you know, a field was just sort of shaped, and so, you know, and and that's been you know one of my my things, and I'm sure we'll get into like, you know, just sort of how do we become more of a profession, you know, and less of pure happenstance. Um, so that, you know, new grad students or new undergrads or new kids in high school who think, oh, that'd be a cool career, um, you know, know what the path is and how long it takes and how many grad programs you got to go to and how much money it's going to cost. And that those will not all be, well, it depends, you know, which I have 31 years of telling people, well, you know, uh, is and not having it the, the clarity of the answer, um, I think is a is a problem with sports psychology. So, I mean, it's it's makes for good stories probably, but it, it doesn't make for 
um, a seamless transition for everybody because I'm sure there's just as many people who would have been way better than me who didn't have those happenstance situations happen to them or you know became something else you know um, so but yeah it's it really is it really is funny I mean and, and certainly ASP it's changed so much uh, but the first few asks I went to it's like you knew everybody you knew everybody in the field I mean okay there's a hundred people here and just, that's everybody you know and which is kind of crazy and now it's it's you know you still know, can know a lot of people when you go to an ASK conference but it's, it's nothing like nothing like it used to be um, but a lot of those people like you said had very idiosyncratic paths themselves even though many of them sort of um, sort of got into school and then just sort of kept it going. But again, they met, they took one class as an undergrad that kind of got their interest in, you know, kinesiology or something like that. Here we are. Speaking of seamless transitions, uh, we're interested in getting a snapshot of the field prior to your presidential service. So how would you describe the field of sports psychology and ask prior to you running for president? Okay. Well, uh, it was, ASP was a good, good place to go to figure out what's going on with the field. Um, and one of the things that was going on in the field, when I was, when I came in, so I sort of really sort of came in, I guess you'd say 1990, roughly, um, going to ASP in Seattle and whatever, is like, it was, it was a battle between the psychologists and the sports scientists. And the sports scientists had developed you know, almost all of the, the content in terms of, you know, research with athletes. Um, oftentimes drawing from, you know, work in psychology and then some of the theoretical base, you know, came often from psychology generally. But, but it was, there, there was a part that was really uh, uh, puzzling for me is uh, why it was that we were fighting all the time. Uh, but it was, it was, you go to ASP and, you know, and after, you know, at the end of the end of the night after the sessions, people would settle into the hotel bar and just talk about this. Did you see this fight? Or no, I missed that one. But you should have seen this fight I had over here in my session. And then so-and-so said this. It's like, oh, my God. Well, you know, it's just like, and, and it was fun on some level of, like, just seeing, like, the leaders of the field, like, go at it. But it was also terrible you know it was because it wasn't about advancement it was about whose turf is it who owns it who runs it um and to me it was it was pretty easy to see you know as as i came in where you know i wasn't a leader um in 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 the field you know but i saw the leaders in the field i saw like boy there's like there's so many fights going on and you know and John Silva had to fight to kind of create ASP to break away and so it sort of you know came from a, a battle to be different um, but it was you know to me that that was the thing that that stuck out when you go to ASP is like boy this is and to me this was the central problem is like we're never gonna make it if we're fighting all the time so um, that that was something to me that was um, was was definitely happening another thing that was happening even by the time i was starting it was there was already starting to be challenges to grad work in the u.s and the academic culture was starting to change where 
um, it used to be, you know, you didn't have to prove that your students were getting jobs. You didn't have to get these giant grants to sort of support the department. You know, if you were a really excellent teacher, students loved you, and everybody wanted to be in that grad program, and um, you know that was that was enough. But then, but by the time, by in the aughts, I guess the early 2000s, um, there was a lot of shifting and changing in the in the field, and what programs were dying. Programs were being eliminated already. Um, and some were get folded into psychology programs, some sports psych programs. Some just got eliminated completely. Others were, they became for a while behavioral psych, uh, health psych stuff, where because you could get grants for certain you know kinds of studies from NIH, whatever. But there just wasn't the big money for sports psych stuff. So that that was another thing that was happening. So I saw that was another challenge to the field. That boy the. Um, the origins of the field are getting eroded because these programs where the smartest young grad students were going were getting crushed. And so, you know, I started to see before even I became president in 2008, I was already seeing people who were starting to leave ASP to go to other conferences that had the, you know, uh, better visibility for certain journals or certain professors or so that it was already like in, in, in health psych, it was starting to be a second or third tier organization relative to like more special, everything was getting narrower. I'm gonna focus on health psychology of children or I'm gonna focus on health psychology in terms of public health, you know, or like these, so there's these sort of niche um, areas where ASP had strived for so long to be like, we're gonna have social psych, we're gonna have health psych, we're gonna have sports psych, we're gonna have we're gonna keep everybody under the tent. And for practical reasons, people are starting to sort of sneak out the back of the tent. Um, and so that I st these are those are sort of the biggest challenges um, that I was seeing. And all I guess one other thing is um, a challenge was there were uh, lots of people getting interested in the idea of sports psychology who didn't have a connection to APA Division 47, didn't have a connection to ASP, and there were starting to be gurus that came out. Mm. And, and uh, I had the experience at the Olympic Committee of trying to work with a team that had worked with a guru who was a, um, not a great practitioner of sports psychology. and. Um, like in one case, uh, had injured a um, an athlete getting ready for the Olympic Games who was favored to win multiple medals in an ill-advised team building activity that ended ended up being like a brawl. No. <laughs> so, like oh it, my so, gosh. So you know, so stuff like that where it's like, okay, there's like what I what I saw was like there's only one place that's really trying to corral applied sports psychology and it's ASP and so for me I thought this is the place I've got to come to because this is the most important place for people who who are doing sport psychology in an applied way and you know want to want to base that work on scientifically sound practices and so um, but those were sort of the sort of the undercurrents of the things that were sort of broiling that I saw were sort of challenges for field and ASP and the profession. 
so knowing those challenges then, and that's a lot to keep in mind, but knowing that those were the challenges, what then inspired you or motivated you to say, you know what, I think it's right for me to now step into this leadership role and to run for president and to um, help guide the organization from that space? Well, you know, I, I, one of, when I was a grad student, one, I, one of the um, courses I was uh, a TA for was psychology of relationships and human sexuality. Sorry, this is, it sounds like it's going in a weird place. It sort of is, but, but what, one of the studies that, that really always struck me is that the professor of this, of this course um, said the people who are most successful um, in dating are the ones who ask more people than other people. And most people, just like in sales, you, you know, you get, you say, someone says no to you once or twice and you're just like, ah, heck with this, I can't do this, you know, whereas someone who just doesn't have any, anything other than their stick-to-itiveness, their ability to, to ask somebody. So asking, asking someone is really important first step for anything to happen. And so in my case, I was asked to run for president of ASP. And if someone hadn't asked me, I would not have run for ASP. And the reason someone asked me, because I was number seven on the list that year. Six people said no. <laughs> That's what I was told a year into my presidency. That, hey, you were number seven. I was number seven? Wow. I felt pretty good when I was asked, you know. But, um, you know, but, but honestly, at that point, I already, it was really hard and a challenging thing. But... Um, I was really glad that I was doing this this thing for uh, you know on the executive board. So, but yeah, it's it's funny because at that time, I mean, I was the I think the only the second person who wasn't in an you know a professor in an academic program. Sure. Um, uh, to be and so that's why I wasn't asked because I didn't have those connections with all of the the older leaders, leaders of the field, and most of those folks were not from the psychology side. They were, you know, more from the sports science side. Um, so I just sort of wasn't in that network of people who were, who were asked. So I was asked, and I thought about it, and I go, boy, you know, how much work could it be? <laughs> you know, it's like, it turns out a lot, you know? What are you, stupid? Yes, it's a lot of work, and I had no idea. So if I had known... I probably would have said no because I mean it was crazy. Like I, I had more sleepless nights as ASP president uh, than the ten years before or ever since. Mm-hmm. I would constantly wake up with a sweat, thinking I'd miss some deadline or something. Because like we were just we had, at that point we had some professional assistance, but like a lot of it was like just you had to remember stuff. And we had um, we had some crazy things happen. <laughs> probably I don't know if I can tell those stories, but anyway, some stuff happened you know, that made it reasonable for me to wake up fearful. Um, and, uh, you know, whether Asp was going to survive or I was going to be the president that killed it. So anyway, I was asked and I thought naively, sure, that sounds like, that sounds like it's going to be great. That'd be fun. And I've got some things to say and I've got some things I want to do. And, you know, um, a lot of those naive sort of ideas. But um, I thought that maybe it was time for somebody who was a full-time practitioner to, to sort of 
be a president of an applied sports psych organization. Yeah. And so anyway, so that's um, that's why I did it. Well, selfishly, I'm very glad that that maybe you didn't know as much because, I mean, looking back on all you accomplished, I'm so grateful that you were in that role. And um, Oh, yeah? Can you tell me what I accomplished? I was trying to think about that before this call because I knew that was going to be a question. I was like, oh, boy, what what actually happened there? Um, <laughs> well, I'll transition it to Megan for, for that one, actually. Okay. Yeah, so speaking of that, what were you hoping to accomplish as – the seventh choice for the ASP president. <laughs> I, I was like Tom Brady. I wanted to prove all those guys wrong, that they, they picked ahead of me. It worked out pretty well for that guy, so. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm sorry. I'm not comparing myself to Tom Brady. Please don't. You may have to edit that out. I, I love Tom Brady. We'll I'm make that the headline of the episode. Dr. <laughs> Sean McCann as... Tom. The Tom Brady. McCann says he is Tom Brady. The Tom Brady of applied sports psychology. Yeah, no, please, please don't do that. Um, so sorry. What was your question? What was I wanting to accomplish? Well, in anticipation of this question, I went back and read my presidential address. Um, and um, it was long, you know, and there was a lot, there was a lot in there, you know, and uh, I know back then it was there wasn't a time limit and there wasn't a time limit for the coleman griffith and they put the presidential address back to back with the coleman griffith and so glenn roberts was really pissed because he he followed me and i took i went i went long i took my all the way and he um he later complained that i don't think we need we should do this that shouldn't they should those shouldn't be back to back um but anyway sorry glenn um but i the things that I that I wanted to do, or I thought we should do, as ASP is is some of the stuff that I talked to before. Deal with some of the challenges that we're facing. One, this big battle that was you know constant with between psychology and, and sports science kinesiology, um, and uh, another was um, just what was happening to research in the field and how it was like it was getting undermined, and, and what could ASP do to help researchers um, and what could ASP do to help practitioners be better practitioners and be science-based and so I had this idea of like sort of a Venn diagram that there's the field of sports psychology which is sort of the academe and, and all the, the body of work and body of knowledge there's the profession of sports psychology which is kind of you know people actually doing sports psych with with customers and then there's ASP and how, where do these things overlap and, and what's, you know, how can ASP be an important nexus for that? And I just felt like just getting the, uh, you know, psychology and sports science together in one place and sort of um, cross-fertilizing was absolutely, absolutely important. Um, and I also, another thing that, that I mentioned was, was sort of happening is in, in the field of psychology, there's like, at that point, I, it's probably much more now, but there were something like 700,000 people in mental health practitioners, licensed mental health practitioners, and but there wasn't a lot of funding for mental health, and it certainly didn't have the, um, the sort of um, public awareness that it has these days, where everybody's talking about mental health all the time. So people were looking for ways to make money, and so one of the ways people were looking was sports psych, and so I really felt like this these people who were do, didn't have any training in sports psych, never went to a conference, mean that that was the, the biggest challenge of all, and so... Anyway, I thought that 
it was obvious that if we wanted to succeed as an organization, we needed to help the people that came to the conference succeed in their lives, either as practitioners or in academia. And um, so that was sort of the, the central idea. And I had a, a few different initiatives that I wanted to do on that on that front. Um, uh, and and I sort of I at at the time I had been reading um, uh, Jim Collins' book From Good to Great, which had this idea that um, companies that are great uh, they focus on one thing, and they they figure out what are they what can they be best in the world at. And so I I posed that to the audience at the at the Ask conference in terms of like. Okay, what can what are we passionate about? What can we be the absolute best in the world at? You know, what are we good at? And um, and had people sort of submit answers. Uh, gave everybody a piece of paper to write down and collect all those, and um, and use the metaphor of uh, the robbers' cave experiment from social psych with the the campers that are like they basically just take some kids and they put them in two different groups. And then you know it doesn't take much for them to just to hate each other. You know that they, they became enemies, and and so they did that for a couple of weeks, and they just you know very little bit to sort of make you know in group out group sort of formations, and they say okay let's now let's let's figure out how we just sort of take this down a notch and bring them together, and you know and they brought them together for meals, and it just turned into food fights and battles, and it was a total disaster, and then the only way they could um, you know. Uh, sort of get the group to work together was to have a superordinate goal, something that challenged to both the groups. And so I, I thought for ASP, our superordinate goals, all these people that don't go to any conference, they don't call themselves psychologists, they don't call themselves sports psychologists, they they just want to make money and they like athletes. And so those are the people that are going out and cold calling, you know, the best college football coaches and the best NBA teams and just saying, I can, you know, solve all your problems for you and with no data, no background, no nothing, and they're the ones that are going to wreck the field. And we need to make sure that we protect this core of science-based practice and crosstalk and make sure and maybe help find a way to, you know, credential people and maybe maybe we can and maybe we can form an action plan like what, what ASP is, wants to be. Because we didn't really, for a while we didn't have to ask what we wanted to be. We kind of, other than there was some battles about how much social psych, how much health psych, how much performance sports psych, but we didn't we didn't really question what was ASP because it's a conference, you know. But it was clearly it was getting we were getting to the point we need to be more than a conference, and then it became a lot of tension. So anyway, um, that sort of those were the big ideas that I was sort of wanted to sink my teeth into and, and talk about. And so based on those ideas, then what would you say were your main accomplishments as president? Um, we still survived. I didn't kill the organization. Um, yeah. Um, we, I think, I really do think, I, one, one of the sort of agendas I had had was, you know, boy, you know, I said clinical psychology was sort of a struggling sub-area of psychology before World War II, and they, and they came up with this thing called a Boulder Conference where they came up with, we're going to have training where we're going to train people about theory and we'll supervise practice. And before that, psychology wasn't really a profession, but that conference created a profession where you got the training you needed and also moving towards licensure and all this sort of stuff. So it's like 
yeah, it's like it, it became kind of what we all want for sports psychology. You're, oh, I apply to this program. If I f make it through the program, I can hang up a shingle and do this work, right? And maybe, you know, get a job at, you know, a hospital or a university or a private practice or whatever. And so I thought maybe we can do that for ASP. And I, that was one of the things I proposed. And that got killed. <laughs> that got killed rapidly at the board level with the executive committee. I couldn't get out of the executive committee of ASP because even to sort of explore it because it was too much of a threat, perceived as too much of a threat um, to existing grad programs, which I still think, you know, and, and, you know, John Silva is, you know, still beating that drum some in terms of like, let's come up with a model that works for young grad students. Um, and, you know, let's not worry so much about protecting the programs that exist right now. Let's look to the future. But human nature is, it's hard for us to look to the future. Like, I mean, look at climate change. It's like, it's hard for us to say, really, we got to go all electric cars? Really? It feels, it's pretty nice out, you know? Um, and uh, so, and I believe in climate change. I, I own an electric vehicle just to get that on the record where my, you know, allegiances lie. But anyway, I, I am disappointed that that did not happen. But I feel like, you know, Bert Guigis, who had preceded me as, as an ass president, um, who I just love to death. And Bert is just amazing. And, and I, I, I couldn't believe it when I, when I heard uh, Bert had passed recently because um, I just couldn't see it because he's just so full of life and amazing. Anyway, he had started this um, this notion of let's get the leaders of psychology and uh, sports psychology and kinesiology to kind of get together and sort of break down some of the barriers. And I tried to support that, that initiative further. And um, we did move on to do uh, um, setting an action plan, you know, strategic plan for ASP as, a, as an organization. Um, so those those were things that I I didn't uh, stop from happening. I don't know how much I assisted them moving along, but I definitely I was trying to push this giant boulder, um, but um, with some 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 success in some areas more than others. But I but I do I do feel like. Um, you know, in the things that I talked about as an ASP president and the things that I pushed for in our conferences were a little bit more like, let's, it's okay to talk about professional issues. You know, it's okay to talk about, hey, I'd like to do sports psych work. What do I need to do to be able to do that? Like, if I've never really done it, but I've taken some classes, is it okay for me to talk to a gymnastics club in my town? You know, it's like, that's a, valid question for grad students, important question. Where are we going to find out about this stuff? Let's do it at ASP, you know, so let's talk more about, and I think, I think it's, um, there's been over time more of a shift towards like a, a balance of sort of that, sort of the basic theory underpinning a lot of the work and a little bit more of the sort of the challenges that professionals face and talking about those. Um, so I feel like, I feel definitely like I helped contribute to that, that direction um yeah what i appreciate is your focus on grad student training and grad students specifically especially as someone who is a practitioner and not working in academia and so all these questions that you're answering are the questions that the grad students i feel like pose to us 
Um, and so having people who aren't even like directly working with grad students thinking about, well, where do they go for these answers? And then as you mentioned before, as the landscape of higher education is changing, and it is, yeah. and these programs are continuing to go away or be consolidated, the answer to those questions and the not people who have that knowledge might not be in those positions forever. And so having a place for it to be seems like the conference is the best place for that. Yeah, agreed. When I, yeah. I, oh, please go ahead. No, no, go, go, go. I was just going to say to echo that I'm so grateful for you representing that applied practice piece in that role, you know, to, to show that, of course, academia is important. Theory is important. That that role is really valuable. And so are the full-time practitioners. And so is that gap in the middle of the people who step into both realms. And so for you to step into that role to represent that group um, to me was so valuable. And to steal a quote from someone I respect very, very greatly, you also started trying to make the implicit explicit. You tried in a broader space to talk about these kind of difficult boulders. Let, let's talk, let's not just fight it. Let's actually sit down and talk about them and try to make progress so that we don't just continually bang our heads against the wall, but we actually do something about it. Um, so I'm, yeah, very grateful for that. All right. Well, it's, it's, it, you know, it's still an issue. I mean, we still yeah. have, yeah, we still have these challenges and we, there's still resistance to, you know, um, you know, I look at what do we do, what happens if we don't evolve? I mean, I, ASP is super healthy right now. We've got lots of people and lots of great steps have been, have take, been, you know, taken place. But we still, we're still in a place where, you know, um, I, I love the performance side of sports psychology, you know, which may sound weird coming from someone who's trained in clinical psych, but, you know, my, I definitely wear the, the performance hat, you know, and it's fascinating even just in the last few years to look at like the what are what are universities when they say we're hiring a sports psychologist what are they hiring so many they're they're looking for a counseling psychologist or clinical psychologist to come in and help them deal with the serious mental health issues of their athletes it's like and if time you know you can also do performance work but everybody i know who goes into one of those jobs that's supposed like supposed to be performance and um uh, mental health stuff it's they're swamped with the mental health stuff you know they and they hire big university hires one person and the next thing that happens we need to hire three more people and they all get swamped with the mental health stuff and so it's like and then so the performance piece is um oftentimes outsourced to gurus hmm. you know not ask you know not ask members not cmpcs not you know just people who are good sweet talkers fast talkers can impress a you know d1 football coach with confidence and bluster um and you know to me again that that's a problem that's i feel like if we don't keep pushing these issues that's only going to get more and more pronounced and um the people who get hired as quote sports psychologists won't won't have the background and experience in how to do performance work and the people who have the background in performance work aren't going to be able to get jobs at institutions because they want somebody with a license, mm. you know. To, so it's like this: we ASP is really, for sure, still best positioned to move forward and 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 bridge this gap. And um, there's still some resistance to doing it, 
but I think more and more people are recognizing, yeah, this is an issue uh, for the future, for the future of our grad students. Absolutely. Yeah, well said. Well, very much. We have come to one of my favorite questions uh, of of this series. This is our story break. This is a chance for you to tell us a fun story from your time in the field. Anything goes, whatever you would like to share that brings a smile to your face. And you do get bonus points, though they are more like whose line is it anywhere where the points really don't matter. Uh, But you do get bonus points if you involve some other ass members in your story. Well, uh, I do. I hang on a second. The, the setting Colorado sun over Pikes Peak just has been shining in my eyes. I just had to lower that curtain there for a second. Sorry. Yeah, so your question. Uh, fun stories. Uh, things that, So many things bring a smile to my face about sports psychology. I can't tell you. Obviously, my, my work with teams, there's so many wonderful stories of uh, teams that have struggled for years and came through at, at big events, you know, um, where, and I was there to see it and just, you know, weeping so happy, you know, knowing these stories, you know, so, so many of those, you know, because I've been so fortunate to go to so many high pressure situations like that. So that's, you know, those things I can think back and make myself happy. Um, and also a lot of laughter all in, in the, with those teams too. Um, you get a little stir crazy on the road with teams, um, but there's a million there's a million <laughs> asp stories. Some not appropriate for it's they're not my story to share, or um, just too dangerous to share. Possibly, you know, I know some of the people who might who might <laughs> listen to it or might be told, hey, you need to listen to what Sean said about you at that asp conference in Kentucky or whatever. Um, but one of the, I guess one of the things that young people in ASS don't realize is like the conferences used to go off in in the old days. They went off, and and it was it was small enough where essentially all these leaders of the field, you know, whether they were in their seventies or in their twenties or their whatever, you know they would get drunk and they would dance together. The entire conference would be dancing together in an inebriated fashion, <laughs> oftentimes hor- dancing horribly, but just like everyone was laughing and enjoying it. And it's just like, and it's such a cool thing. Cause when I started at ASP, I was one of the young ones, like pointing out like these leaders of the field that were dancing and wasn't that funny. And then as I got older, I became one of those old guys that they, I could see grad students pointing at me going, oh my God, I'm, I've become one of them, you know? But those were, those were funny days. I mean, and I really feel like, you know, that's something ASS needs to try to bring back. I mean, I, like maybe dancing is, I don't know, do people dance anymore? I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, like finding a way to bring back that fun of of ask whether it's like I mean we were in Orlando a while back where we had the had the thing in the bowling alley at the end of the conference that was really you know, I think that's the kind of thing that can be fun but it used to be really fun and I mean just just imagine any of the people that you've interviewed so far or are going to interview 
dancing. Um, and that's, you know, just, just run through that list of people in your mind and just like, um, it's funny. It's just like seeing your parents dance. It's funny, you know? So, um, yeah, there's a million ASP conference stories over the years and um, some involved alcohol, <laughs> but, um, but all of them involve just people really happy to find their tribe of people, you know, like, you know, everybody in sports site gets it, you know, right? Everybody at the, that conference gets what's fun about sports, what's fun about life, what's interesting and challenging and has that balance of like a serious, you know, pursuit of stuff, but also just love to have fun. So, um, yeah, so sorry, I, I, I have many specific examples in my head that I'm editing myself very with a lot of diligence to prevent myself from saying particular people's names or particular stories. You know, I so think I, that was, that's not very satisfying because, the, the, you know, the real stories are really funny, but I'm afraid to say them. Maybe we need to have an after hours version of our podcast. Yeah, maybe ASP and unanswered. Yeah. That's, oh. that's, that's the next one, right? Coming soon. I like that. I remember um, my so my first ask was Salt Lake City, so I remember your address there, and I remember the dance party and Bert Guiges, speaking of him, just tearing it up. And I had I knew the name, but I didn't know the face. And I remember asking Dr. Beely, like, "Who is that?" And she said, "What do you mean, who is that? Like that?" And so it was it was fun. I remember that very vividly. Yeah, yeah. That, that yeah that yeah Bert was Bert was always there. Uh, Robin was usually there too, you know. All yeah, Joan, all those all those folks were, were out there cutting cutting a rug. As they and I say. feel like you did answer the question just fine. I, I mean, we asked for something that brings a smile to your face, and you have all of us cracking huge smiles and chuckling. And I think it is something to keep in mind to try to maybe bring back at some point of just those moments of levity and joy and fun and coming together, too. I hear in that story of people coming together and just especially if there was so much infighting, too, that there was this opportunity for us to also come together and just be joyous together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what I guess um, one thing that's become a tradition. This is a story I can tell because it's not uh, uh, Charlie Brown, who you may know, um, uh, who's who's retired recently. Uh, Rob Smith, Kirsten Peterson, myself, all enjoyed live music, and so uh, we made a tradition of going out to a club in whatever town. We're in where there's where there ever there's live live music, and that's a tradition that's carried on to Fort Worth this year, where there was a um, a speakeasy um, jazz club in Fort Worth that, that I went to with with a few other folks, and it's a really a really fun tradition of just great music and sitting around hanging out with with people. Was there great music in Fort Worth? There was, there was. It was, uh, it was a kind of a with a jazz band, sort of with a swing focus, um, and they were good. And and uh, they had two singers. This woman had an amazing voice and did some of the the classics in very well. Like it was like, whoa, that's like, that's that's not just somebody covering. That's somebody really singing really well. So that was, yeah. So yes, there was. It went and it wasn't. I don't know if you're fans of country music, but it wasn't country music. It was, 
Um, I, I don't want to get into the country is a country music music controversy. Um, I won't say what I think about that. Okay. We've touched on this a little bit already, but in what ways do you feel the field has evolved and what are your thoughts about that evolution, both good and bad, potentially? Yeah, I, you know, I love that now um, just just in my day-to-day -day life, I say I'm a sports psychologist and people will go, oh, what's that, you know? Or I don't have to start off every sports psych talk convincing people that the brain is important. You know, every sports psych talk in the world through about 2010 started with, how come everybody spends so much time practicing physically if the brain, you know, if it's sport is 90% mental, how come you never practice the mental side? You know, it's like everybody started off that way um, to try to convince people it was this was worth listening to and thinking about doing so so that's really wonderful that just the the term sports psychology and the idea of training the brain to reach a higher level has become so familiar that you don't have to explain what it is I mean you do still to some extent but um, it's the c consumers now in my work are so much more sophisticated about you know um, you know imagery anybody here ever done any imagery training you know it's like you know and you know you used to ask that and people go I don't know what's that and you know and now it's you know people ask a question like I've been doing a lot of imagery but I think I want to do some more work on like solving specific problems with imagery do you have any ideas on how it's like when you get a you know an 18 year old kid asking that question it's just like oh this is how it should have always been you know but it's like now that's how it's evolved in terms of, you know, young people understand that there's specific work to do and specific ways to, you know, improve performance through, you know, the way you think, the way you feel and specific kind of routines that you follow, all that sort of stuff. So that's great. I love that. Um, and I, I love the fact that um, there's more, more and more professional teams, Olympic teams using using sports psychology as sort of this this is of course of course we bring sports psychology to the game you know it's still there's still obviously room for growth but um it's so much so much more <laughs> than it was when i when i started i mean the the ways that i was introduced to groups um some of them are not appropriate even for radio um or or a pod you know um yeah i mean <laughs> really not the way you want to be introduced but now it's like there's a certain level of uh, if not respect at least sort of like hey here's here's our, our sports psych speaker for the for the night um, so anyway I, I, I really like that uh, that fact that the field has sort of gained that traction and and currency and that there's even like you know TV shows and movies involving sports psychologists and stuff like that so that's that's really cool um, uh, and I, I'm a little, I'm a little bit concerned. We just we talked about a little bit in terms of like the, the sort of the um, what terms we're using. Is that really sports psychology, you know, um, or is that counseling psych? Is that you know, and you know we and we've got this, we've gone through this interesting transition at the Olympic. Uh, Olympic and Paralympic Committee just recently where we were so busy traveling with teams that we realized you know what we 
our sports psych group, even though all of our sports psychologists had uh, had training in psychology and all were licensed, uh, uh, we said we can't we can't handle crises. We, you know, we're not a college counselor. We, we're not we're we're away. A lot of time, all of us are away, and so we you know so our team pushed to have higher mental health folks. Like we need to have. We said we need to hire a, a person who just focuses just on mental health because we don't have that. We and we need to do that if we want to do a good job with managing crises. And so, uh, <laughs> in short order, there's six people that focus on mental health, and it's and it's by far the thing that's most talked about at, at the USOPC these days. It's like sort of the, the work on mental health because it's all sort of brand new. And so, um, and so, sometimes. I'm feeling like I have to remind people, yes, that's really, really important, and I'm really glad. And the performance piece is important, too, because we're only here because we've got these amazing athletes that every four years, they do this thing called the Olympics, and they really care a lot about their performance, and they're under so much pressure, they need a little support and help to do that well, and that's why we're here. So, yeah, so it's that's an evolution that's really a little confusing for me, because I, you know, I've, you know, gone so much, I, my mentality is so much on, okay, what's the, what's the performance challenge? What's the way I can help support, you know, get us through this challenge? Um, that it, it's, even though, you know, I'm, I'm still a licensed psychologist, that's not front of mind typically at the beginning. So, um, so it's, it's been interesting for me to see that evolution where I don't want us to feel like hiring someone who does just the mental health is doing all sports psychology so you know it's an interesting problem it's some ways a good problem hiring people but we need to i think ask needs to continue to clarify what does it mean and 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 like you know it's so confusing like okay well okay that guy's licensed and he but he's doing performance work what does that what does that mean and like you know i thought you know it's super confusing um, for so many people, but ASP, I think, is well well placed to sort of sort that out. It's like, hey, if you're looking for this, here's what you might want to look for. If you're looking for this, you might want to look for this. And maybe if you've only got one salary, you can do this, but you might also need to hire a contractor to do some of this too, you know, kind of thing. Um, so, I mean, it's, and it, you know, it's, it's fascinating to watch universities. Universities are getting blown up with their like the mental health needs like they're um where i was reading where was it maybe it was yale had like 50 people and for for counseling services including including athletic department and they're and they're still sending out tons of stuff out to the community because they can't handle it all or they can only give two sessions or three sessions for a student who's got you know cutting or something like that it's like it's crazy so I don't know. This is such a weird time, um, and so a lot, I, I'm I'm hoping that some of these challenges will abate. Um, you know, maybe if we get off our our smartphones a little bit more and and we get through this pandemic, um, maybe uh, some of that stuff abates. But I really feel like we still need to do more to promote sports psychology and the performance piece and and embrace the overlap, um, but also recognize that hey this person's an expert in an eating disorder this person's an expert in team building those don't have to be the same person 
maybe they can be, but that's an unusual person. You're lucky if you find that if that's your two two sets of needs. So, like, I, I still think we need to sort sort this out, and, and I think we need to move pretty fast as an organization if we want to kind of get on top of the messaging uh, on this. Um, but anyway, it's it's I think it's a, it's a challenge that's um, important because both things are important. You know, it's uh, performance outcomes have not become less important. I mean, look at look at look at college sports. How crazy it's getting with the NIL stuff. Um, you know, that's not decreasing the need for sports psychology, for uh, supporting performance and helping people deal with pressure. You know, because I mean, now you got an 18 kid making 18 year old kid making half a million dollars a year as a quarterback. I I, I don't know maybe. I, I don't know how much they're making. I've heard the stories I've heard are crazy, but anyway, that's to me is like that's a fascinating thing. Like, are the services that are in place at universities sufficient for that kind of situation? You know? But anyway, sorry again. All I can do is long-winded, rambling answers. I'm so sorry. No, so you're transitioning us. You're just transitioning us to questions. You're making these transitions very smooth because the next question is, where do you think ASP and the field are going? And what I hear you saying is answering these questions is an important next step for us to take is addressing these, seeing the needs and seeing how ASP can come forward with messaging that's consistent to educate these consumers, educate these stakeholders. Um, But I'm curious where else you think or where else you hope uh, the field and the organization are going. Yeah, well, um, I'm concerned that the the um, drying up of research funds in the U.S. continues, um, and some of our colleagues in other countries that do Olympic sport and stuff, you know, and work in in, in you know the U.K. and Australia. Some of them they've started to see they're like. 20 years behind us a little bit, but it's they're starting to see the same thing of shrinkage of the programs and the, the monies. Um, and so I, I'm concerned about that, and I don't know what ASP can do. Um, there's, you know, I was going to give money to ASP if I won that billion-dollar lottery, you know, but it was going to be focused a lot on sort of basic research stuff, like, you know, applied basic applied research. Um, answering some of those basic questions, you know, and supporting that, and, and like having a place where people could get grants because it could help them at universities. I thought that's, you know, again, I, it's easy for me to say I didn't win the the billion dollar, you know, uh, lottery, but but uh, I do feel like ASP should continue to try to help, you know, young researchers uh, get their feet wet before they say, uh, I'm just going to go into a different area where there is money. Um, and I, I don't know how we solve that problem as, as asked, but the field, we need to come up with a solution, whether it's, you know, finding, you know, the Bill Gates or the Elon Musk or whoever that has billions to spare, you know, that wants to invest in sports psych. But I, I think we need to do, find a way to fund research. Um, and I, I do feel like um, ASP, is going to have to step up when more programs die. Because I, I don't see that curve changing because it's money, right? It's, it's universities are getting more and more money focused, less and less government support. 
uh, deans are having to make difficult decisions, great researchers are getting cut. It's so you know what this is like we're you know, we, we make it to the point where it's like Australia where there's like two programs, you know, that to be a sports psychologist and that's it, you know. It, the decision may become forced and you know, ASPs should be playing a role in that. And I don't you know, and I know John Silva raises that flag every once in a while now and saying, hey, we need to, you know, accredit certain programs and help, you know, and, and there's, there still is some resistance to that idea. I know there's some movement, to, but I think we got we to gotta push towards helping the ones that can survive, survive, um, and figure out a way to, what's a, what's a model that can work financially and practically for students so they're not in school for 10 years and, you know, $300,000 in debt or whatever it is. Also a great transition into the next question. Um, and so this is actually, I'm fascinated to hear your answer because I think for a lot of students, especially, uh, or early career professionals at the same point in their careers as I am, the ultimate goal or the, the dream goal is to work with the Olympic teams or the Paralympic teams. And so I'm curious what advice you have for students or new professionals entering into the field, whether they want to work with professional teams or Olympic teams or go into some other setting, what your advice might be. Yeah. Well, I'm a dad, you know, I've got a daughter who's in her twenties and, you know, it's been interesting because I've, I've been answering questions for a while from grad students about what, you know, what would you, what would you advise? Um, I think it's important these days, given how much grad school costs for so many people, that you're practical, you know, and I, I am like, I'm definitely somebody who did not walk that walk, you know, or walk that talk, uh, you know, like I just, I did what I loved and I just, so I did the follow your dream thing and I convinced my now wife to follow my dream with me. Um, and she's like, <laughs> she didn't divorce me or leave me. She came with me. It was great. And, and if she wasn't here, I don't know if I would have been able to keep doing this. Um, but I, but the you know, back when I went to grad school, I went to state, you know, a, a government-funded, state-run clinical psych program. I graduated. I, I, I was a research assistant or, or teaching assistant all of my years there. I graduated with zero debt. I worked in a bike shop to pay for my meals, you know, and. Who does who does that? I mean, and there's some there's some programs. There's still some graduate programs where you can go and essentially do a similar kind of thing and, and have hardly any debt. But there's so many programs now where you're, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And to me, it's like, how do you, how do you get that back? So you got to be either you got to love it a lot and say, I'm okay with that. And here, I, I've got a plan to, to do that. Or you shouldn't do it. You, you, but you definitely, you need to be really really smart about what's possible and if you know what do I have to do to make money you know which may be a stepping stone to the perfect career you know and uh, uh, so unfortunately I, I think um, that means that uh, you may not be able to get directly into the uh, pure performance work from the beginning because I think while that's satisfying in the short run, um, putting up a shingle and saying, hey, I can give 
presentations and do individual work and whatever. It's like, you know, if you you know if you don't have the right shingle to put on the wall, it's going to get hard to be hard to get jobs at an institution because they're all run with lawyers involved. The lawyers all want a license that they can say check that box. Okay, we're insured. Whatever. It, it doesn't matter. They don't. The lawyers don't care about what your training is and whether you're a good. You can do a good talk on goal setting. They don't care. They just don't want to be sued because they've hired somebody that didn't have the, whatever the sort of the highest degree was or whatever. So that's a reality. So you need to be okay. What does that mean? Like, am I am I entrepreneurial enough to do this on my own, or do I need I needed to be in an institution? I'm too disorganized, you know, to go out. You know, and you know, get the bills. I, I'd be that guy that you know forgot to send the you know the receipt for the invoice or whatever. You know, like you know, you gotta if you're an entrepreneur, you gotta be a really good business person, really good. Um, I don't think I could even just do a, a private practice in psychology. I just I it's not at least right now I couldn't anymore. Um, and, and you know, so you need to figure out what you're capable of doing ten years from now, and do you want that life? And I mean, even though academics you know, for some people, isn't the joy it has been because of some of the pressures have come up and it's less idyllic in some ways than it used to be. It's still amazing. You know, if, if you love to teach, if you love students, if you love helping students, I mean, that's a great career. And, and that can be a launching pad for doing some performance work, you know. So in some ways, that, that can be an alternative path um, and oftentimes less expensive for grad school on that, on that path. Um, but you'll end up spending a lot of time hunting grants, oftentimes fruitlessly and oftentimes frustratingly. And so, you know, so you gotta weigh that, is that, you know, but, you know, you don't have to travel 175 days a year or whatever, you know, you can, and you can work with your local college teams or whatever. I mean, so there's just, a lot of it is just knowing how much is it gonna cost, time-wise, money-wise, and what do you love, you know, and like the, the good to great thing is like, what are you passionate about? What can you be best in the world at? Is there anything you can be best in the world at? Can you be the best researcher? You know, can you be the best practitioner? You know, or at least good enough. You know, that's a high standard. You know, I'm not best in the world at anything, but you know, having a you know something that you can feel really good about your career. So, you know, I, I know it's hedging the answer a little bit, but I would say if you want to work for an institution, more and more these days, you need to get a license because that's who they're hiring you know and maybe that's going to change but it feels to me like dealing with lots of lawyers here um, the lawyers are definitely the ones making the call and that's why that degree is required not because it's the right person necessarily to, you know to work do individual work with this athlete that's struggling to kick field goals you know um, it's because that's what the lawyers want, and that's institutions listen to the lawyers. So that's a bottom line. If if you want to work for a, a company or an organization, you know, then it's worth investing in that degree that will impress the people that are making the job decisions. Um, and if you if you want to be entrepreneurial, understand what that requires, and you know, God bless you, because that's hard work. That's hard work, but it's. I know some people that do it and are amazing at it, and I, I can't. But you know, if you can, that can be a joyful, joyful work also. You know, um, and potentially you can do it with without a PhD. You can do it with a master's sometimes. You know, again, some people like the doctor stuff. You know, 
and sometimes it'll get you in certain doors, even as an entrepreneur. Um, so anyway, um, sorry, is that as a new as a as a current grad student, are you depressed? From my response, <laughs> are you are you satisfied? Are you irritated? What, what what's your response? No, I appreciate the realistic answer one hundred percent, and it's honestly what I've heard from multiple people and multiple professionals in the field. And I think the being practical piece is so important to hold on to and knowing what you're capable of while also keeping in mind what you're passionate about. So I, I took a lot from it. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> Sean, what do you hope your impact is going to be on the field? Huh. Uh, I don't really think about that. Honestly, I mean, I, I actually I saw that question. Um, I, I, you know, I, I I'm I'm thinking in much more um, humble terms. Am I okay with my career? Yes, I'm really happy. I'm really ha I I still have so much fun, you know, and I still hope that I don't get fired because I love this work. I love working here. So. I'm really happy with my career, and during that career, I know, I know that I've had impact on certain teams, certain coaches, certain athletes, and I know that it made a difference for them, and that's enough for me, and that's, um, and that's, you know, those are the relationships that are, that are private, you know, and they're not, they're not, they're not known by, you know, um, the world, you know, and you don't put it on a wall. But it, to me, it's that's those that's that's the impact that I that I'm I'm happy every time. But it's but it's it's always starting fresh, right? So, you know, I'm um, in, next week I'm going off with an, uh, a team to uh, their world championships, and it's going to be it's a brand new team, and so I got to you know, whoa, oh, you you moved around my screen there for a second. Um, I don't know what happened there, um, but anyway, yeah. So the impact on the, on the individual athletes I work with—that's, you know, I, I hope I have a good impact on this team next week, and that I can make a difference. And it's every every time you start, you're starting starting over again, and you're not sure, and so you have to keep trying to get better. And so, yeah. I love that answer. It gave me like goosebumps. Yeah. As we wrap up, I'm curious, what haven't we asked you that you feel is important to share either about the field, about the organization, about more dancing stories at the conference? What, what haven't we asked you about that you would like to share? You've asked me a lot. Um, I don't think I'm in trouble yet. Um, I don't think I've said anything that I don't want shared. So I think I'm okay. I think I'm okay. I think I'm okay. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I guess I, I guess I would say that ASP, while um, like everything else, imperfect, is still my home, my professional home. And I feel so lucky to have been part of the, the you know, the leadership of ASP during during my time, and um, 
and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how it, how it goes moving forward. It's, it's, it's been pretty cool to see the level of professionalism and now how many things are just rolling along. It used to be an initiative would come up and then it would just sort of fall off. And then somebody would come in and have a different going one to a different direction. And the, now we've got sort of a strategic plan and leadership comes in and helps execute the plan and throws in there maybe a little bit of spin, but it's less sort of like, you know, chaotic. It feels like ASP is really becoming that that vector between the field, the profession, and that place where if you really care about great work in sports psychology, you have to go to ASP. You know, it's where else would you go? If you if you don't go to another conference, it's like then you think you already have it all learned. You know, then you're a guru, and then I don't have no time for you. You know, if, like. You know, so you like if you but if you care about doing great work, you got to go to ASP because that's where all the best practitioners go and the best academics go, the ones that care about the applied world. So um, that's really, to me, comforting. I, you know, like I still think it's the best place to be. And so I'm always happy when I'm there. So even at that. Wonderful. Well, thank you again, Sean. We so appreciate you sharing all of your stories and the energy, the effort you've put into not just the organization, but the field as well for representing non-gurus, uh, you know, the trained, certified professionals well. Um, we're just so grateful for, for your time today and just everything that you've done. Thank you so much. Well, thanks. You know, I've, you know, some people have asked me, do you, hey, do you ever do want to do a podcast? Say, yeah, that'd be fun, but I, yeah, man, you know, I don't know how to do that. You know, so thank you for letting me be on your podcast. It's awesome. Yeah, thanks for agreeing. Yeah, so, so who are we interviewing next week? I'm part of the panel now, right? You can be, yeah. Hey, well, look, yeah, if you need a fill-in, you know, you know, one of you has a schedule problem, you know, so I'll get my little podcast fix, you know, if you need somebody else. Yeah, well, be careful love what you put out there because we'll take you up on that. <laughs> All righty, All sounds right. good. We've asked. Dr. Sean McCann answered, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.